Hello and welcome to LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today I'm here with Jane Bell, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist, to discuss the waivers that have most affected operations in nursing facilities due to the pandemic. Welcome, Jane. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. It's good to be here. And I first want to send out just a quick thank you to the healthcare workers that have been so heroic in these times of great uncertainty. We are proud of you and your total commitment to the residents entrusted to your care. Your efforts have not gone unnoticed. Please don't think that. You are heroes and warriors. I very much agree, Jane. Before we get into the specifics of the waivers, could you provide some information on the background of these waivers that we often see with emergencies, such as flood, hurricanes, fires, and now COVID-19? Sure, Rebecca, and that is just a great place to start our discussion. Here's just some basics about what's called these 1135 waivers. These waivers that I'm going to talk about today pertain to federal requirements only and not state licensure. These waivers allow reimbursement during an emergency or disaster, even if the providers can't comply with certain requirements that under normal circumstances would be required to enable Medicare payment. The waivers do not allow individuals to be eligible for Medicare who otherwise would not be eligible and they will end no later than the termination of the emergency period. At this point for the pandemic, we know that we should be hearing something around July 27th, but right now they're still full on. So the purpose is that healthcare facilities that provide Medicare services in good faith can be reimbursed for them and not be subjected to sanctions for noncompliance, absent any fraud or abuse. And those last few words I just said are key, absent any fraud or abuse. Again, CMS wants Medicare providers to put the patients or residents before paperwork, but we still have to meet Medicare requirements. Thank you for that background information, Jane. It seems from reading the ANET Connect community, our member-exclusive online forum, that there is still some confusion about the public health emergency waivers that have impacted the decisions made in our facilities, such as the three-day qualifying hospital stay, the spell of wellness waivers, and the delay for completion of the MDS. Let's first discuss the three-day qualifying hospital stay. Can you cover the highlights of that portion of the waiver, please? Sure, Rebecca, and like you, I have seen that confusion as well. The 1135 waiver is in place to protect the hospitals from being overwhelmed by a surge of COVID residents. The portion of the waiver that applies to this waiving of the three-day hospital stay is also called Section 1812F, of the Social Security Act, which is the requirement for a three-day hospital stay prior to a skilled nursing facility admission. The waiver pertains to original Medicare Part A residents. It became effective March 1st, 2020, 
and applies to all skilled nursing facility level beneficiaries under Part A, regardless of whether the care required by the beneficiary has a direct relationship to COVID-19. This waiver stays in effect until the public health emergency is declared over. Now, here's the important part. The waiver does not provide for Medicare coverage for residents who do not have a condition that would have required a three-day qualifying hospital stay if there was no COVID emergency. In other words, we just can't put residents on Medicare Part A without a three-day qualifying stay simply because they may benefit from therapy or nursing services. All Medicare coverage requirements are in place that were in place prior to the COVID emergency. And as I said, the waiver of the three-day hospital stay is in place to keep those hospital beds available for COVID emergencies. So a hospitalized resident can be sent to the SNF without the usual three-day hospital stay to preserve hospital beds and personal protective equipment. Some other situations under this part of the waiver may be used could include some instances, and I'll give you some examples. A beneficiary could come to the SNF directly from the emergency room. A long-term care resident in the facility has a change in status and now requires a skilled level of care. The physician with discussion with the facility decides not to send them to the hospital. The facility has the resources and the expertise to care appropriate for the resident. So we're gonna treat in place. Another instant would be that a beneficiary could be a direct admit from the community, or they could be a direct admission from the community where they were receiving home health or outpatient services. So there was some reason that the hospital wanted to free up beds so we were able to get rid of this three-day qualifying hospital stay with this waiver. Again, one thing I really want to stress to providers, we highly recommend that information used to make the decision to waive the three-day qualifying hospital stay be documented very carefully in the medical record. Just to be very clear, we are stressing that both the hospital or the initiating entity, whichever those might have been, and the SNF document in the affected resident's medical records that the lack of a three-day prior hospitalization was a result of the COVID-19 national emergency. And we do realize there has been some back and forth about the need for this documentation. But to fully protect the facility, please do document the circumstances surrounding the decision and why it was appropriate and necessary to invoke the waiver. Remember, this beneficiary must meet the criteria to be considered for Part A Medicare skilled services, just as they are described in Chapter 8 of the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual. Those haven't gone away. It's possible claim decisions might not actually take place for a year or more after the pandemic. 
So the documentation will keep all that reasoning behind the decision available and accessible. Providers should apply the condition code DR to all applicable Part A claims and the modifier CR for all applicable Part B claims. Thank you for that overview, Jane. Listeners, please stay tuned while we take a quick commercial break. Are you currently an experienced RACCT professional looking to take your reimbursement expertise to the next level? Then the RACCTA Advanced Certification may be just the program for you. Learn more by visiting www.anac.org forward slash education forward slash RAC-CTA. Welcome back. Let's continue our discussion with Jane Bell about the waivers related to the pandemic that impact assessing skilled services without a qualifying hospital stay and a renewal of the benefit period without a period of wellness. Okay, Jane, would you explain the 100-day benefit extension and how it applies to Medicare Part A residents? Sure, and that's a really good question because it has caused confusion. We know that typically a Part A resident must have a 60-day wellness period during which the beneficiary is not receiving skilled care in a SNF or inpatient hospital care to be eligible for another benefit period. For example, we know that a resident who's been receiving tube feeding nutrition at the qualifying skilled level of care does not regenerate another spell of illness as long as that beneficiary continues to receive that qualifying amount of tube feeding in the skilled facility or they would happen to require inpatient hospital stay. They do not get another benefit period. Now with the Section 1812F waiver, when a beneficiary exhausts, that's a key word, exhaust their 100 days, and the individual resident was in the process of establishing a new benefit period, but was prevented from doing so by the pandemic, that resident would be able to generate a new benefit period with no admission to the hospital. Ask yourself, does the resident who was in the process of establishing a period of wellness have skilled needs that are related to the pandemic. Under normal circumstance, would this person have been sent to the hospital because of the illness? If so, the current skilled needs related to the pandemic interrupted their 60-day period of wellness, and the individual was delayed or prevented from starting or stopping their current benefit period. In the unusual situation where the resident would exhaust his benefits but be prevented from gaining a spell of wellness due to the emergency, the staff would do a Part A PPS discharge, MDS, on day 100. The PPS schedule would begin again at day one on what would actually be the 101st day. A new five-day PPS assessment would be completed, new Medicare certifications would be required, and the MDS look back would be seven days from the ARD, even if those days extended to the prior stay. 
Again, a facility cannot keep a resident on Medicare after day 100. This waiver is in place to allow residents to renew their Medicare A benefit if their benefits exhausted and they no longer required a skilled service. However, the resident begins their spell of wellness and that spell of wellness is interrupted when the resident develops skilled services related to the pandemic. Has to be related to the pandemic. And do remember this is not an automatic additional 100 benefit days. The facility must still determine on a daily basis if the resident is receiving skilled Part A services. And once the skilled need related to that pandemic stops for that particular resident, the resident's benefit period ends as well. Thank you. That is some helpful information to know, Jane. Next, could you please provide an overview of the MDS delay waiver? Sure, another good question. This waiver deals with late completion and late transmission of the MDS to the Keys ASAP or the Federal Repository System. The very important part of this is for the nurse assessment coordinator to remember that this waiver does not include the setting of the assessment reference dates. The facility needs to work very hard to set the ARDs timely, especially for the residents on Medicare Part A. The timeliness of the ARDs is the critical part. Also, remember that billers cannot submit the Part A claims if the billed MDSs have not been submitted and accepted into the federal repository. A couple of other factors to consider is that the MDSs will still need to be completed and submitted. The completion of the resident assessment instrument remains a compliance issue for future surveys. Thanks, Jane. Any final thoughts you would like to offer our listeners? Oh, just a couple of reminders. We do realize that many of the nursing homes around the country are greatly impacted by the virus. ANAC is committed to providing resources that are easily accessible. For example, our APACN COVID-19 Updates and Essential Resources webpage has multiple web links to in-service tools, articles, and the CMS and the CDC resources are listed by date and the specific topic. So visit www.aapacn.org to find that resource under the resources tab. And finally, thank you again for being heroes. Blessings to each of you and to your families. Thank you, Jane. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today and for all you are doing to safely care for your residents. If this podcast was informative and helpful, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. For more resources and tools on coding the MDS, please visit our website at www.aanac.org.